We're given a rule to do or not do something. What does that so often stir up in us? A desire to break it. Okay, so here's a sign. Wear that. There's my boy. I'm not. So kind of like a, you think of reverse psychology, right? There's literally a heading in a a psychology magazine that says, don't read this in order to get you to read it. Well, how does that show up then so often with God's commandments to us? That it, God says, don't do this, and we want to do it. Or do this, and then we don't want to do it, right? But fortunately for us, underlying every command that God gives us, for instance, to do not do this, there is a louder, there is a more lavish, do this, and I will bless you. So our big idea this morning is that God desires in the two commandments we're going to look at, that we love his name and that we will receive blessing by resting in it, in all that it means for us. We're in the midst of a series on the Ten Commandments. So last week, Pastor Adam took us through the first two, where we learned about the object of worship and the means of worship. This morning, we'll hear about the manner of worship and the time of worship. So we'll look now at chapter 20, Exodus, uh, the third and fourth commandments. If you would stand with me as we hear Moses write to us of the Ten Commandments and God speaks, verses 7 through 11. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. And rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. And made it holy. You may be seated. Father and our God. As as the early church father Augustine said. Oh that you would command what you will. And then will what you command in our lives. May that be true this morning. That we um, get a deeper taste and appreciation for the goodness in these commands. Would you have your way, your will in that? In Christ's name, amen. So, if we're kind of honest about it, taking a step back, looking high level, Old Testament, Old Testament law, right? At least most of us here in, in church would say, well, the Old Testament still counts, Right? There are some that say, hey, Old Testament doesn't matter. We're just in the New Testament. Forget the Old Testament. What are you even doing in here? I think we get that much. The Old Testament still matters. Okay. But now, what about these two laws? Often the depth of our understanding of, say, the third commandment, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain, would be, we might say, hey, here's kind of the JV level, is that don't curse. Right? Yep, that's part of it. 
Some people say, well, that's just JV level. Varsity level would then be also, hey, even watch how you text, maybe little acronyms and stuff like that. Just honor his name even in that. Don't do you know, references to stuff like that. Hey, and that's the varsity level. You're really taking that commandment well. Well, fortunately, we're going to see there's a lot more depth to it than that. Okay? And then the understanding often for the fourth commandment, all right, the JV level is honor the Sabbath means come to church. All right, check, got that. And then the varsity level is, well, don't go out to eat on Sundays either. And we have kind of these very simplistic views of these commandments. And God would have us this morning to, to just have a richer view of these wonderful commandments for us and not those silly uh, JV and varsity uh, kind of references I had there. So if you would, you can follow along. There's an outline in your bulletin there. All right, And left a few fill-in-the-blanks because one of my children says, hey, leave the fill-in-the-blanks. It helps us to follow along. So maybe that gives you some value. Think about this. Old Testament law, first five books of the Bible, there are 600 plus laws. Most of them are case laws. That means they kind of flesh out things like the Ten Commandments. Where this law that says, you know, do this with your land is actually underlying or underlying it is one of the Ten Commandments. They are summaries of the Ten Commandments, is often the case. And we see three types of law in these six hundred and thirteen. There's what's called civil law. So these are laws that were only for the nation of Israel because of God's, uh, the way he had structured Israel as his people and his nation, all that together. But then they expired, say, when Israel went into uh, exile and the nation kind of passed away in a sense then. Example would be Deuteronomy 19. You shall not move your neighbor's landmark which the men of old have set. That's a civil law for Israel. There are principles that still hold. You could take them forward. But that law was for Israel. That's one of the 613. Ceremonial laws. These were laws that dealt with priestly duties and sacrifices. They are completed in Christ, the ultimate high priest. Example would be ones that deal with offerings. So then we can say, well, all right, great. The 613 laws, I can whittle some of those away because they're civil and ceremonial laws. Ah, I don't have to worry about those as much. But then there's the moral law that we call it. These continue into New Testament times. Example, the Ten Commandments. The moral law continues. And with the moral law, we see three general uses of the moral law. And you can think of it this way. The first is that of a mirror, that the law is there to make me aware of my sin and my need for a Savior. Here's the mirror. I said, whoa, I am needy. I am a sinner. I have done that. I have thought that. Woe is me. So if we look at the law, even this morning, and we come away like the rich young ruler, well, hey, I got that, check, I'm good, 
I've held those. We're looking at a cracked mirror. We ain't looking at this law. We're not looking at the right mirror. It should show us, brother and sister, I need a Savior. I am guilty. So there's that aspect, the mirror. There's also a restraining factor to the law where it restricts evil. Even for the unbeliever, for all of society, There is goodness in the law, even though they might not admit that it's coming from there, that the law helps to prevent evil. There's not as much killing. There's not as much robbery. There's not as much lying as there would be. The law helps all of society, believers and unbelievers. So there's a restraining factor like that leash. But then for the believer, it is a guide. It is a guide that encourages the believer towards good works. It's the most famous passages in the Bible, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? Saved by grace through faith. What comes right after that? Wonderful verse that says, created for poema. You hear the word poem, poema, for good works. You as a believer are created for good works to point to God. So the moral law is a guide that points us how to live. And these laws were given on two tablets of ten. Ten, two, not five and five. Ten for Israel. Ten for God. Figured kind of symbolically a reminder for him. These are my covenant people. I will be their God. They will be my people. You get 10, I got 10. Here's your 10 that are guide for you, how you should live. The law doesn't save. The law doesn't save. The gospel saves, but the law has value. Michael Horton puts it well. He says, picture a sailboat with all the latest gadgetry. It's like the law out there. That gadgetry can tell that boat where it should go, when it should go, if there's a storm coming, etc., etc. But that boat is, that sailboat is stuck if there's no wind. If there's no wind, that thing can have all the law and gadgetry it wants. It ain't going anywhere until the wind, the graces of Christ, blow it. And those graces of Christ don't just blow from the harbor to get it out there. They better be blowing all the time. So that law and that gospel and that grace have to be going together in our lives all along. So with that background, we consider now this specific commandment, the third commandment, which says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Name, name, importance of a name. There once was a boy named Eustace Clarence Scrub. And he almost deserved it. Lewis writes that in uh, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. You hear that name, Eustace Clarence, what a lousy name. And he was a lousy kid and he was given that name. The name symbolized kind of what this guy was going to be like. What's in a name? In a name, there is story, there's identity, there's brand, there's ownership. All these things, when you think of somebody's name, 
this stuff goes off in your head without you necessarily saying, well, I'm going to think about their story. I'm going to think about that. So the story, what comes to mind for you if I throw out a few names? Martha Stewart. For me, just incredible creativity because I've got, I'm still waiting for my first creative thought. She was so immensely creative. That's my picture of her story. Bill Gates, just incredible wealth. Here's a harder one, maybe some people know, Usain Bolt. So fast, Olympic runner, amazingly fast. Adam Mumpower. Honestly, when I think of Adam, I think of a pastor who loves his people. In the three to four years I've gotten to know him, that's my kind of story of Adam. He loves you all so well. There's a story that comes to mind when we think of a name. The name means there's an identity to it, right? So go back to the 60s, the Beatles, right? So, so famous, their identity. And unfortunately, that identity just, you could say, went so much to their head. John Lennon said, we're more popular than Jesus. There are parts of the world where they know our name, but not Jesus. And Jesus was all right, but blah, blah, blah. My goodness. But that's conjures to mind, that identity, that incredible fame, that incredible talent, that incredible arrogance even. Pele, some of you know this famous soccer player around the 70s or so. So good doing these bicycle kicks and stuff. Here comes the ball and he flips and kicks it into the goal. So incredibly talented and famous. Somebody said once, well, how do you spell Pele? G-O-D. Wow. He was that famous that that's what it made that person think of and identify him as Some of these good, some of these bad. I'm saying, but that's the identity and the story that comes to mind. So back then with these folks, the Beatles and Pele and so forth, there was no social media. That was big time then, right? Especially for the Israelites. There wasn't any social media. These tweets going around, this Instagram, that kind of stuff. Their name, God's name, went ahead of him by various means. Name also means ownership. There's an ownership factor to the name, right? A brand on a horse or a cow. This belongs to the YB Ranch. It's owned. A branding, an ownership there. Israel had the name of the Lord God of Israel. They were branded with his name as Israelites. Our story, our identity... Our brand, our owning, we're owned by God. And we are not to take his name, his identification, his attributes. Elohim, creator. El Shaddai, God most high. The God who sees. We could go on and on. His character and use it in vain. He is the Lord, our God. But what does it mean? What is vain? What does it mean to take his name in vain? Literally, the word vain basically means empty. And so it's much more than just cursing. And when I think of empty, sometimes I think of this. It was a, maybe a month or so ago. I went to the refrigerator, go to get some milk, and this milk carton's empty. What's it doing in here? Empty. 
You know, you start thinking, what, well, well, what was what was the attitude of the person who put it in here? Maybe they just didn't care. <laughs> so I'm done with it. I'm just putting it back in there. I don't care. So what? Or maybe they were just going through the motions. Got milk, got carton. Milk carton always goes back in the refrigerator. Just going through the motions. That's vain. That's empty. But do we do that in worship? Do we? I don't really care. I'm not really even thinking about it. Do we just go through the motions? That's vain. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. Remember that mirror? We can't come away from this commandment saying, I got it. Check, got that one. There's a mirror aspect where we're going to say, I fall short. Profanity. When you think of that word, profanity. Profanity is taking something amazing and making it common. Taking the amazing and making it common. And I kid my kids so often because... You know, awesome. Hey, you got an A on your test. That's awesome. You got a, you got a hit. That's awesome. Say, hey, can we have one word? Please don't use awesome for that. God's awesome. Ah, oh, Dad, you're a dork. Stop. But can't. That's profanity. God's awesome. And so I lose on that one. But you get the point. There is something awesome about God that only he has And when we're not realizing that, that's profanity. So, question there you see in the outline. How do I take God's name in vain? Yes, cursing, that's that's taking his name in vain when we do that. Other little mild curses where you're not saying it, but you're coming close to it, that can be taking his name in vain too. But it's also using his name in a reckless manner even. There can be times where, yeah, God told you to do something. You're in his word and it's clear. I need to do this, this, and this. But there's also times where we just kind of toss it out there. God told me to do this. And then a week or a month later, I, don't, I can see that he can't have told you that because this is here and that was there. That's a reckless use of his name. That's taking his name in vain. Simply put, this is what to get. Taking the Lord's name in vain is claiming to be a Christian and not living like it. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. Guilty. But here's the grace as well in this. After we see this mirror in a need for Christ, we move from the quiet do not to the louder do how do i not take his name in vain but honor his name used to for day job for work i would travel a lot and they're different just as i see kind of cultures kind of in the u.s you go out west it's often about kind of the coolness and the health factor that kind of image you go up to the northeast sorry for those who have come down from there but i think it's about the rudeness the Jersey and the New York folks, it's so much about rudeness. How, how can I out rude you? Go down to the deep south. Sorry, just joking there. But go to the deep south. Go to Mississippi. Go Jackson, Mississippi. You know what it's about? It's about the family line. Who's your daddy? 
That's what matters down there in Mississippi. So is that not what this is about? Who's your daddy? Live like your daddy. What do we mean? I can think back for myself, my dad. My dad had habits that have, for good or for bad, been passed along to me. He would come to basketball games, and he would just kind of try to embarrass me a little bit, and he sure did. He, look up in the, Dad, not the sombrero. Honestly, he wore it massive sombrero to basketball games. Okay? So there's times where I'll kind of try to get under my children's skin a little bit, embarrass them a little, lighten up, lighten up. I said for good or for bad. But he would also, boy, if, if he threw me thousands of baseball pitches, and then when he couldn't throw anymore, he's in the cage feeding me baseball pitches, getting rebounds when I'm playing basketball. So now for my children, if one of them wants help with sports, I'm hopping up. He helped me with science projects. They need help with a paper. It's just a habit. I'll help you. I'll help you because it's kind of ingrained from my dad. A lot of you could have a lot better pictures of things that your dad did for you. Your daddy raised you in this way and it's passed along. Now there's also ones who don't have that picture of my daddy who loved me in a good way. That's okay. And that's wrapped into this because you and I have a heavenly father who loves us infinitely more than any earthly father ever could. Who's your daddy? The Lord is asking us to live out of that relationship with him and honor him. That's the third commandment. And we don't obey it to get accepted. We are first accepted. And in the power of his name, we obey. We've been rescued. We've been renamed Christian and should want to honor that name. Following Christ. Even Jesus honored the name of his father himself. For this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. That's my purpose. When we take up, because that's in, that's in this, you shall not take up. So we should take up in a positive way. Take up the name of the Lord. Think of a bride who takes up, who gives up her name, takes up the name of her husband. By honoring him with her actions faithfully and then by her words, by her thoughts, by her demeanor, honoring him. That's taking up the name of the Lord in the right way. So Christian, we carry the name of Christ. Sometimes we have to invent all the, well, Christians just not receive well anymore. I got to be a this or that. Christian, it's a good name for us. It's a good name. Our culture makes it harder and harder to have that name, which can be a very good thing. Bible Belt, hey, you used to just, are you a Christian? Sure, aren't we all? Not anymore. And that's a good thing, that we can truly reflect and honor the name of God. How can you enjoy and reflect the goodness, the beauty, the truth of Christ 
today. Our third commandment. The fourth is this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you'll labor. Then the seventh you don't. Nine times out of ten you walk up to someone today and you ask them, How are you doing? I am so busy. Right? Isn't that what we're going to hear? I'm just so busy. Could be. And, and, and it's also going to be, man, I'm just so busy. And it's not what I want. It's thrown upon me. My job, my sports, my technology, my toys, my leisure, my da, da, da. And the image is that of the rat race. Just, I can't get out. I can't get out. I'm stuck in it. Whether or not those topics are all good or not or bad, that's not the point. The point is this. God says... I'm giving you the way out of the eternal rat race. Sabbath means ceasing. Stop. Cease. It one day, cease. I'm, I'm putting it there for you. It's not in the, you look at the sky and the, the rotations, it doesn't fit. Seven days, that doesn't fit in any cycle out there. I'm going to make it. Six days work, take a day off. Get off the wheel. Well, but does this one really apply? I get the other nine. <laughs> does this one really apply? It's the longest commandment here of the ten. And it's mentioned more often in the Old Testament than the others. All the other nine continue. I think this one continues. It was part of creation. It wasn't, I was talking to somebody recently. They said, well, God got tired <laughs> Six days he worked and he got tired. No, I didn't get tired. He made that day special. This is perfect. Here's a rest. You follow it. It's for you. Then we start asking, well, do I have to take a nap? Can I go out to eat? Can I watch football? Can I go to a game? Those aren't the best starting points. And they're really not the best ending points either that's not the heart of this command all right start with the first word remember remember cherishing remember cherish not just oh i thought of it okay two guys on their have their anniversary bill comes home to 10 year anniversary to sarah sarah i remember this is our anniversary and I cherish you. Here are flowers. Here's a card that I've just thought all the ways that you're so special. And I have a sitter. We're, we're going out tonight. I remember and I cherish you. Tom and Sally had their 10-year anniversary. Tom remembered. Sally said at the end of the... They're getting ready to go to bed. Hey, Tom, you remember this our anniversary? Sure. I remember I thought about it a lot. It's just, it's so different. You know, it's like, I, you know, I could have been doing life on my own. We're doing life together. It costs a lot more, the stuff you tend to buy. I'm remembering it. I thought about it a lot. He spent the night in the doghouse. That's not remember, cherish. It's not cherishing it. So God says six days 
work. Well, right there is a little, an interesting one. In the Sabbath command is also a doctrine of work. Work, work, work hard for six days, but then often we don't. We play on our work days, work on our play days, rest day becomes a work day. Work hard when we're supposed to work so that this day can be special. It's good for even young folks to try, seek to do that even amidst school and stuff. It can be hard. I'm not saying this is easy. Time is often the proof in our lives of who's the master. Money shows it, right? Money can often show idols and who's our master. But some people have millions of dollars and some people have tens of dollars. So it might be a little easier to give if you got the millions. We still, giving is super important. It can show idols. But you got 168 hours in a week. I got 168 hours in a week. You can find some idols with time. Time can prove who's the master. And if we struggle to take a Sabbath rest, and incidentally, Sabbath, Lord's Day, real quick, Sabbath, yes, it was Saturday in the Old Testament, all that became Sunday because of the first or the eighth day because Jesus was raised. That's why it's now the Lord's Day. Honor of him, that's Sabbath, Lord's Day. Just use them interchangeably. If we struggle to take a Sabbath, a Lord's Day rest, it could be, it could be a gospel issue. Maybe I'm finding my identity in my work or being a people pleaser or using busyness to distract me from unhappiness that I need to take to the Lord. So much overwork is driven by self-justification, being enough through my efforts. We need to accomplish more and more because we're failing to apply to our hearts what Christ has already accomplished for us. Calvin in his institutes gives a few Simple guidelines that can help us for the Lord's Day. So it's a day to gather for worship. Yes, it's not just sleep in because I killed myself Saturday night, just up all night, and I just sleep in. No, it's a day for good activity, gathering together for the church. And sometimes that costs something, right? Is it King Christ or King Panther's? Do we prepare for church? Do we prepare for church? Do we pray for Pastor Adam that he would be ready, that he would preach the word of God for us the night before? Do we pray for the music team? Do we pray for our own hearts to be ready to be a soft ground to receive the word of God? And and the, the online services have tremendous benefit for those who can't come. But there's also admittedly the challenge of, man, I can just one minute before flip it on and there we're in. But did we prepare? Okay? I'm stepping on feet. I'm stepping on my own. Don't worry because, again, it's a mirror. It's a mirror. Do we rest from our daily labors? Do we rest from our daily labors? Again, that rotation of seven is not built into the solar system, the universe, any of that. God put it there for us. Be refreshed. Take the day, make it different. Maybe go for a walk, a bike ride, a picnic. Get off our device. Do something different that this day is different and special. It's also, we'll see, if you look in the Westminster Confession, 
There are deeds of what are called necessity and uh, uh, mercy, okay? deeds of necessity. It's funny, you can think when our children were young, we, you know, trying to, trying to, this was almost creative, it's still, I'm not really creative, but thought, okay, we'll make it for the children, you don't have to do your chores on Sunday, make it a special day, but then it was just like, well, okay, now you're just leaving your dirty dishes for us, somebody's got to do them. Take that chore back. There are, there, are, there are deeds of necessity that still need to take place on a Sunday. Cooking meals, cleaning up, whatever. There are also, for sure, works of mercy. Think of Danny and Teve, doctors. It's a simple example. There are plenty of others. But as an example, I can't just say, hey, you got that uh, gallbladder that's ruptured. Sorry, see you Monday. No, they're deeds of mercy that are still good to do. And Jesus pointed that out when the Pharisees were coming after him. Finally, Calvin says, find our spiritual rest in Christ every day of the week. It points that he's our ultimate rest. He is our ultimate rest. This is a picture of that. And here's the irony, is that it can be a battle to make sure that we rest. A little ironic there, but Hebrews tells us that. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. So it's an effort to realize I have to help myself rest in Christ. <laughs> There's a work to get there, but I think you get it. The importance that ultimately I am resting in Christ. So brothers and sisters, don't forget, the Sabbath is not a master to whom we report. And that's why I said those questions about can I, can I, can I first or last, it's not the heart of it. The Sabbath is for our benefit. It's not a master to whom we report. It's for our good. Christ is master. So where is Christ in this commandment, in these commandments? Colossians 3.17, among many others, but I love this. Hear this. And whatever you do, in word or deed, whether you're resting or working, okay, do everything in the name, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we see it. There's... Yeah, there's a little do not, but there's a much louder do. Honor his name because we are so blessed by him. So the, the message in closing, even say for the skeptic maybe hearing this, the Ten Commandments and this and that, is it not so much the same as for the believer? For the skeptic who is striving, striving, I have to make a name for myself. I have to make a name for myself. I'm the ultimate judge in this. Versus resting in the name of the one who has done the perfect work on our behalf. And to rest in him alone. Let us pray.